Thank you guys for joining us this morning. Today we're going to begin a new series. Now we're going to be working through the book of John. I'm going to entitle this series Captivated by Jesus. Captivated by Jesus. Uh, we're going to begin in John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. We're really going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 18. Verses 1 through 18 this morning. I'm going to read that and then we're going to pray and we'll dive in to the word. Beginning in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church to open your word, to learn from it, God, to be captivated. And God, I pray as we work through this message today that, that we would be captivated, that we would be captivated by Jesus like we have never been captivated by him before. God, help us to take this text and apply it, apply it to our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been captivated by something, something so wonderful, something so beautiful that it literally took your breath away. Maybe it was the moment that the door swung open at the end of the church and you saw your beautiful bride there standing in her dress for the first time. Maybe it was the beautiful sunset that you saw while you were on vacation in the mountains or at the beach. Maybe it was the first time that you peered into the clear night sky through the lens of a telescope. We've all, been, we've all been captivated by something, something so beautiful, something so wonderful that we couldn't help but be attracted to it. But, but, I ever, but I wonder, have you ever been captivated by Jesus in that way? So much so that, that nothing else matters to you. Have you ever felt like one author I came across recently who said, I long to have my soul filled with love to God, a personal realizing love that will be the root and spring of my whole life. I want to love Jesus as well as trust him, to feel my affections to him, to, to is gauged as well as my faith. My heart as to earthly loves often feels sad and lonely and unsatisfied. 
None but Jesus can fill the place that often now is lonely and sad. And oh, that he may fill it, that I may love him with the soul-satisfying love and may find the desired rest for my poor, torn affections in his loveliness. Have you ever been captivated by Jesus in that way? Captivated in such a way that that you know that, that he is the only one who could ultimately satisfy him. I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, Jesus doesn't always captivate us like this. We're not always attracted to him as if he is the only one who could satisfy us, right? We're not always attracted to him in that way. Instead, we allow our affections to be, you know, captivated by other things, things of this world, money and career and success and and fame and, and status and independence. We allow the allure of these things to captivate us, to draw us in, to steal our affections from Jesus. And this ultimately results in us not following God's will and and not following God in the way that that he would have us. It results in us not spreading God's word. It results in us not serving his people, not loving and leading our families in the way that God has, has called us to love and lead our families. Instead, captivated by the things of this world, we seek to serve worldly things instead of Jesus. And our church, our community, our our families, all of these things suffer because of this. I know how many times, you know how passionately, how, how forcefully I tell you that you need to be on mission for Jesus, that... We don't need to allow our preferences to get in the way of doing church, that uh, we have to love one another, that we, need to, that we need to seek unity with one another, that this world is bankrupt. You're not going to run away from those things. You're not going to truly change unless you are captivated by Jesus. Only then are you going to turn from the things of this world and turn to Jesus. Only then are you going to serve God faithfully. You see, being captivated by Jesus is the key to continually serving Jesus, to continually loving, loving Jesus, to continue living for Jesus, to continually doing his work in this world. And for that to happen, for us to be captivated by Jesus, there is, there's no better place to turn than to God's word and specifically to the book of John. John is a, a come and see gospel. He's saying this is who Jesus is. He's offering this picture of Jesus. And he wants us to come and he wants us to see Jesus and he wants us to be captivated by Jesus. And I'm convinced that, that if we come and we see Jesus for who Jesus really is, then we will be captivated by him. He will captivate our affections so much so that we will be drawn to him and only to him. We will see him for who he ultimately is and we will ultimately be satisfied by Jesus and Jesus alone. And the result is gonna be us putting our idols away And fixing our gaze, fixing our attention on Jesus like never before. And so today I want to invite you to come, to come and see Jesus for who he really is. And my goal with this series as we work through the gospel of John is not not necessarily to get into the nitty gritty of every single verse. Let me say, if you want to study John verse by verse, I recommend the truth seekers class to you. They're going through the book of John and they're they looking at it verse by verse by verse. And they're really breaking that book down and they're doing a, a great job looking at that book. We're not gonna do that 
from the pulpit today or through this series. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the the overarching story through the book of John. And we're going to hit it at a high level and we're we're going to see who Jesus is as we do that so that we might be captivated by him like never before. And so in what way does John seek to captivate us? Specifically as we begin the gospel of John, how is he drawing us in here in chapter one? Well, look at verse one. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we see here that John begins with this enigmatic figure and he calls this figure the word and he tells us that that the word is eternal. In the beginning was the word. You see, we can take and we can stretch our imagination back as far as we might, but we will not find the beginning of the word. When there was nothing, there was the word. Before all things were created, there was the word. The word is eternal. And the word was with God. The word was not with God like a book might be with us. Maybe you brought your Bible or your, or your iPhone or your iPad or maybe you got an Android device. You know, I don't want to be you know, exclusive there. You brought that this morning. The the word is not with God like one of those things. Instead, the word exists in a personal, intimate relationship with God. I like what one commentator says here. He says, the word is oriented towards God like lovers perpetually running toward each other on a sentimental film, on on the beach in a sentimental film. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit, a little bit too much, right? Too much of a picture, picture for you. Maybe you watched a movie like that last night and you can really picture that. But the idea is that the word exists in this deep, loving, intimate relationship with God. But then John, he he takes it a step further and he not only tells us that the word is eternal, that the word was with God, but then he says here at the end of verse one, and the word was God. The word is not a thing. Not only is the word God, but but the word is not just a thing. Instead, the word is actually a person. And so, so look at verse two. He was in the beginning with God. And that personal pronoun, he, tells us that the word is not, is not a concept. The word is not an object. The word is an actual person. Not only is the word a person, but the word is the agent of creation. Look at verse three. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word is the agent of creation. Everything finds their existence in the word. He created everything. You, me, the world, the universe, the oceans, the deep, whatever it might be, God has created everything. Not only is the word the creator, but In the word is life, verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word shines his light into the darkness, and he provides life. And what does John mean by light and life? Well, with the creation count in mind, certainly John has the idea of of physical creation that has taken place here. But but John is also pressing this metaphor a little bit further with the idea of, of spiritual light when he says this is revealed truth. And when it comes to spiritual life, he has, or when it comes to life, he has spiritual life in mind. And in verse five, we see our first conflict in the book. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness 
has not overcome it. And what does John mean by darkness? Well, just as, as he takes this life and this, this light metaphor and he begins to press it a little bit further, John is doing the same thing here and he's pressing it further than physical darkness. Darkness represents all that is evil, all that is dangerous, all that is chaotic. It represents the rebellious, sinful world that, each, that we live in each and every single day. And John tells us something wonderful about the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. So think about it. You you come home at night and and you have forgotten to turn on a light before you left or maybe you stayed out a lot later throughout the day than than you had imagined. And so you, you find yourself coming home and your whole entire house is dark. There's not a light on inside. And you go in your house and, and you've lived there for a while and so you know where all the light switches are at and you go over there and you, you're groping on the wall and you're feeling you finally you get it and you, you flip it on and what happens? All the darkness disappears. All of the darkness goes out of that room. And if you turn on the light switch and that doesn't happen, you're wondering like, I mean, is the light switch broke? Uh, did the power go out? Did I forget to pay the electric bill this month? Did they just turn it off on me? <coughs> We expect that the light is going to overcome the darkness. And no matter what the darkness tries to do, no matter what tactics the darkness tries to employ, the darkness cannot overcome the light. It cannot defeat the eternal word who is God. You see, the light illumines the darkness. The light provides hope to mankind by telling us more about God. He comes into the world and he says, this is who God is. He comes into the world and he says, this is why everything is so messed up. He comes into the world and he says, this is how everything is going to be fixed. And then he tells us where everything is heading in the future. And we learn all of these things from the light. And so Isaiah's prophecy, the prophecy that John certainly had in mind when he penned this section comes true. Isaiah 9-2, we read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And this light that John is talking about is Jesus. He comes to shine a truth into the darkness so that we might know the truth about who God is, who man is, how, how this world got so messed up and how we might be saved. He shines the truth into the darkness so that he might provide us with hope. Truth, truth that cannot be snuffed out. For darkness cannot overcome the light. And so how do we know all of this? How do we know about the light? Well, for a while, our kids, they they were waking Jen and I up at night and they would run into our room and they would be crying or screaming and yelling and like, oh man, you know, there's something in our room. There's something that is after us. There's, There's something in the darkness that I saw. And... We were like, well, it's not really that dark in your room. Everything is okay. You've got a night light in there. And then they have this other thing in there that makes music that has a light on it as well. And, and, and then there's light coming in through the window. But you know how it is when you're a kid and you have all these like kind of dim lights coming through and you, you have your, your, you know, your, your play toys everywhere and the shadows are being cast on the wall. And you think, wow, like that is some huge monster that's coming after me. This is what's happening. And so what do we do? Well, we got them a flashlight And we gave them this flashlight and we said, all right, whenever you feel scared, just turn on the flashlight and you'll be able to see better than all your nightlights will allow you to see. Now, you you know, and they did that and they quit coming into our room after a while. And so we have to ask, why? Why did Jen and I 
do that? Well, we, of course, we wanted to get some sleep, uh, you know. We're getting woken up every single night. But we did that because we love our kids. We didn't want them to be afraid in their bed each and every single night. We wanted to provide them with something so that when they got scared, they, they could get away from being scared. Now, we didn't have to give our kids this flashlight, but we love them. And God loves us. And God loves us so much that he sent messengers into this world to shine a light into the darkness. And he sends these messengers to rescue us from this sinful, evil world. So look at the text starting in verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. God doesn't have to send messengers into this world. He doesn't have to shine a light into the darkness, but he does. And he sends a messenger. And the first messenger that we see here in the book of John, not the first messenger in the Bible, but the first messenger we see in the book of John is John the Baptist. He bears witness to the light so that we might experience life. And you know, God hasn't stopped sending out these messengers today. Everybody who believes in the light, everybody who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are God's messengers. This is why we talk about as a church being on mission, right? We have all been given a mission by God to go out and to make disciples, to go and shine our light into the darkness so that people might understand the truth. And that's what we are to do. We are to go on a rescue mission for God. But again, the key to to doing this it's us being captivated by Jesus. You see, we, we talk about that which, to, it, to that which our affections are drawn. And so today, lunch, or maybe during our, our fellowship time tonight uh, with your Sunday school class, and maybe you're gonna talk about the basketball game that, that you watched yesterday. Or maybe you're gonna talk about the upcoming Super Bowl, and maybe you're for one team and somebody else in your group is from another, and you're gonna be ragging on each other until next week, and then, you know, the talk's gonna be over. Why do we do that? Because we like those things. Because we're drawn to those things. Because those are the things that that interest us, that we are interested in. You see, we talk about those things that matter to us. We talk about those things that that we are attracted to. And so if we're going to continue to talk about Jesus, then we've got to be captivated by Jesus. We've got to be drawn into him. He's got to matter to us. Can't just be something that, that I tell you to do. You see, I could come here uh, each week or maybe not each week, but maybe once a month or something like that. And I could really get on you for not, for not living on mission. And I can preach a sermon and I can make you feel terrible about not telling people that you know about Jesus. And you know, one of two things are going to happen from that sermon. You are either going to be really prideful because you're like, man, I told somebody about Jesus this week and I must be an amazing Christian. Or you're going to walk out of here and you're going to feel defeated. You're going to feel deflated. And that's what moralism does. Moralism either breeds pride or it breeds those people who feel defeated and who feel deflated. That's not what the gospel does. That's not what Jesus wants. You see, we're not, we're not trying to build little Pharisees at the church. We want people to be truly captivated by Jesus. We want people to be truly attracted to Jesus. You see, we talk about that which we care about. We talk about that which we are attracted to. That, and so 
If you're going to share Jesus with others, then he's got to be the thing that matters most in your life. And when he matters the most in your life, you will talk to other people about him every chance that you get. And this light that we are to proclaim is, is not a distant light. You know, the, the light does not illuminate from afar. Look at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light does not illuminate from afar like the sun has said. The light is like a flashlight, a high-powered flashlight to be sure, but, but one that, that comes near. And he comes into the world and he doesn't remain distant from the world. He comes into the world. And the world that John talks about here is not just, just the created universe. I mean, he's talking about the created order, the created order of human beings, of human affairs that is in rebellion to its maker. And if you think about it, that's remarkable. I mean, the light enters into the world that is in rebellion to him, the world that, that rejects him, the world that just wants to do nothing more than try to snuff the light out. He enters into the world and he enters the world with the truth. He's said to be the true light. And we need the truth that the light brings, and that's because the world lives according to its own wisdom, wisdom that is opposite the wisdom of God. And this began way back in the garden. God comes to Adam and Eve, and he creates them, and he creates this beautiful garden for them to live in. And he says, I want you guys to work it and keep it. I want you guys to make this place beautiful. I want you to continue to create as I have created. He says, but you can't, you can't eat of one tree. Just this one thing, everything else you can have. But you can't have this one tree. And what happens? The snake comes, the serpent comes, and he deceives them. And he, helps, he begins to, 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 to help them think according to their own wisdom and his wisdom and not the wisdom of God. And so they eat of that tree and they eat of that fruit and they plunge this world into sin. See, God gave them a choice. He said, would you rule according to my wisdom or will you rule according to your own wisdom? And they chose their own wisdom. And we've been choosing our own wisdom ever since. And we can't help but choose our wisdom. And we need the light to come and shine its light into the darkness, the truth of the light to shine its light into the darkness so that we might, might come to understand God's wisdom. We might live according to God's wisdom, wisdom that is not informed by the darkness, wisdom that is informed by God. And this light enters into the world. And this light enters into the world on a rescue mission. And he tells us the truth about us and he tells us the truth about God and he tells us how we might experience salvation. And that light's coming then. It forces us to make a decision. You see, there is no middle ground when it comes to light. When you, enter, when, you, when you go into your room, that dark house that we talked about a few moments ago, and you turn on the light switch, half the room does not remain dark and the other half light, unless there's something going on with your lights in your house. But if everything is working according to plan, that room becomes lit. The darkness dissipates. You see, when it comes to light and darkness, we, we can't straddle the fence we are either for the light or we are against the light. There is no middle ground. And so the light coming into the world presses us to make a decision. It pressed those in John's day to make a decision. And what decision did those in John's day make? We'll look at the beginning of verse 10. 
He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And so the light comes into the world to illumine the world. The light comes into the world to point people to God's wisdom, to the salvation that he offers. And the world rejects that. Lives according to its own wisdom. Continues to follow its own path. Even his own people. It wasn't just, just the pagans who rejected him. It was his own people who rejected him. They loved darkness so much so that they ran from the light to the darkness. And really everyone runs from the light. Those who had the true religion, the Jews, those who were, who were pagans, those who weren't religious at all. They all run from the light to the darkness. They all trade the light for the darkness. Everyone runs from the light. And knowing that, knowing that we all choose the darkness, is there still hope for us? Look at the text starting in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see what John is telling us here, that there are some who will come to the light, even though we continually reject the light, even though we have chosen darkness over and over again, there is still hope. The light came into the world and the light came into the world on a rescue mission and the light doesn't just make one pass, the light is like a lighthouse that is out there constantly beaming its light into the world and all of those who would come into the harbor would experience safety. He's continually there illuminating the darkness so that you might come safely into the harbor, so that you might know the truth, so that you might experience salvation. And all of those who turn to the light, all of those, John says here, who would believe in his name can experience salvation. And what does it mean to believe in somebody's name? It doesn't just mean that, that we're gonna believe in their teaching. It's not just the same as that. And said to believe in someone's name means that, that we, would, we would trust in who they are. We would, we would trust in what they have done for us. To believe in someone's name is really to admit that I can't do it on my own, that there is no way that I can save myself. There is no amount of works, there is no amount of goodness that is in me that can provide me with salvation. I cannot do it on my own, but I believe that Jesus can, and I believe that Jesus has, that Jesus has paid the price for me, that Jesus has died in my place, that he has paid the penalty and absorbed God's wrath for me. That's what it means to believe in someone's name. It means that we believe in their person. It means that we believe in their work and that we believe that we can't do it on our own, that he has done it for us. And all of those who would believe in Jesus's name, we are told, will experience salvation. But even more than that, those who believe in his name will, will become children of God. I mean, think about it. We are adopted into God's family. I mean, that is, that is remarkable. Those who are God's enemies, those who want nothing more than, than to kill the son and who did kill the son, have an opportunity to enter into God's family. 
and inherit all of the things that the son has just by believing in his name. We don't need to take a pilgrimage. We don't need to give a ton of money. We don't need to give a ton of service or anything like that. Just by believing in his name, by trusting in his person and work, we go from being enemies of God to not just being saved by God, but being children of God. We are adopted into his family. And that is remarkable. And not only are we brought into God's family, but we are born again so that we become new persons. A person who loves the light instead of the darkness. But again, it is only by God's work that we are born again. Or as one commentator puts it, this new creation reality, this spiritual rebirth cannot be brought about by human passion or family planning. Only God can accomplish it. That's remarkable. It's amazing that God would shine forth his light on a rescue mission to a sinful and rebellious world so that we might experience life, so that we might be freed from the darkness, so that we might be able to operate according to God's wisdom, so that life might go well for us, so that we might know our creator and live according to his wisdom, according to his will. That is simply remarkable. But how? How can this be the case? How can those who are constantly and consistently rebellious, how can those who who love darkness, who want nothing more than to snuff out the light, how is it possible that God can provide us with salvation? How is it possible that he can save such a rebellious people and still be just and still be holy at the same time? We'll look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. This is amazing. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the son takes on human flesh. I mean, don't, don't, don't miss the significance of this. The creator embodies the creator. No other God would do that. Many other religions see humanity as as second-class citizens, as, as servants of the gods. No other god leaves their divine space, comes down to the created order, and takes on the creation. No other god does that. But the Word does. Jesus does. The Word becomes flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. He literally tabernacled among us. His presence is here, just like his presence was in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the Old Testament. Jesus tabernacles among us. This is amazing. Through Jesus, we are able to see God for who he really is. And we are able to live. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was in the temple and live. But you could approach Jesus. And you could see him and you could walk with him and you could talk with him and you could hear from him and you could be healed by him and live. In fact, this is one of the reasons that he came. He came to reveal God to us. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God himself comes to dwell among us to make himself known to us to tell, to relate, to describe himself to us. And so if we want to know who God is, 
then we look at the word. And the word that we look at today is God's word here. And the word that we look at in the gospel of John is Jesus. If we want to know who God is, we study Jesus. We study God's word because God's word is all about Jesus. It's Christ-centered. It's gospel-centered. And so we study the word. And the word, as we learn in verse 17, is Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. Verse 18, he has made him known. And he can reveal God to us because he came from heaven, from the right hand of the Father. He himself is God. And his coming reveals that, that God desires to be in community with us. But how? How can we become children of God? How can we become part of his family even though we reject him, even though we rebel against him? Well, when the word came, even though he takes on human flesh, the word does not take on our sinful nature. He is God. He is holy. He is perfect. Even though he is man, he is at the same time God. And as the perfect God-man, Jesus is able to pay the price for our sin. The light, the word, the one who has tabernacled among us also becomes the lamb who takes away the sins of the world by sacrificing himself for us on the altar. As he hangs on the cross, the Lord's wrath is poured out on him in our place. The very wrath that we deserve, Jesus takes on himself and he dies for us. As one pastor says, when you see the strong become weak, when you see the divine become human, when you see the word become flesh, when you see God come down on the cross and be torn to pieces for you, there and only there can you actually see the full glory of the God who is as much grace as truth, as much truth as grace. Because only on the cross do his grace and truth come together. Only there can you see he can be both the just and the justifier of those who believe? God saves us, not by pointing us to the truth, but the word becomes flesh and he dies for us. If you think about it, this is simply amazing. It is simply amazing that the God would, would take on creation so that he might reveal himself to us, so that he might continually call a rebellious people out of darkness into the light and then make a way for us to be a part of his family by dying for us. God allows his creation to kill him so that they might come to him and be a part of his family. I mean, that is simply amazing. That is remarkable. But this is the God of the Bible. This is Jesus, the word who has become flesh. This is the light. Knowing this, then we should be, we should be captivated by Jesus. We should be drawn in by Jesus. Our affection should be drawn to Jesus like nothing else. Not to the world, not to the things that this world offers us, but to Jesus. Jesus is the one who should captivate us. The word has become flesh. He's dwelt among us and he has died for us. And he has adopted us into his family. It is simply amazing. And so today, let the eternal word 
point you to the truth. The word who dies on your behalf, the word who rescues you from darkness and adopts you into his family. And let him captivate you. Let him draw you in. Let him be your focus. Let him be your attention. Let him be your love. Let him be where your affections are drawn instead of to the world. Let Jesus captivate you today.